There's a time and place for mayhem, and that's essentially what Bullet Train is. Two hours of fights, carnage, and witty repartee. That is from James Barardinelli of Real Views. We're talking about Bullet Train, which is our new feature review this week. There's not a lot of new releases, like big, noisy action movies coming out in August, with the exception of Bullet Train. So I had to make sure to go see this one. It's got Brad Pitt, uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, a couple of cameos, which I don't want to spoil. Um, as I'm looking at the cast, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to spoil those, so we won't discuss those. But I also finally saw Blackbird, which if you'll recall, we talked to Dennis Lehane here on the podcast, me and Chris, and I finally actually watched the show, which he was promoting, all six episodes, fantastic, at Apple+. Plus. We got DC League of Super Pets for the kids, squeeze that in, so three new movies. As far as old movies, kind of feeling nostalgic about John Candy. So I, I re-watched... Most of the great outdoors, that is tipping my hand on the review because it was not worth a rewatch, but I was like, this is better when I was eight years old, but let's just try to get through it. And Uncle Buck, I recorded. My kids already watched it. I'm like, wait, I wanted to watch it. Like, we already watched it. So I, I just, I figured me and Chris have obviously seen it. We'll talk a little about oh, Buck. And, a classic. Yeah. There's enough memories of that movie you can remember. I want to start with this, though. Does Tony Baselli like movies? Because we got to get this guy in Cinephile. He gave Stugatz the ultimate hookup. I have been following the story. If you're, if you're not aware of this, the Levitard show, <laughs> Stugatz, my man, who turned 50, we have the same birthday, he went to the Hall of Fame and was granted like unprecedented access. The reason I'm so floored by this is Chris knows I was recently at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And now yeah. my access was because of my friend, Eduardo Perez, who is the son of a Hall of Famer, and my friend, Tim Kirchner, was being inducted. So it wasn't that shocking that I'm hanging out with like Johnny Bench and Larry Walker and Paul Molitor. But Stugatz, like, I, I still am confused. I'm like, how the hell did Tony Bastelli befriend him? And I'm watching these videos. This is amazing. The access he had was incredible. The difference is, is that you hang, you kind of like are a fly on the wall and just take it all. And you ask for a little picture here and there, but you're not bugging people. Stugatz, I get the impression, is just sticking phones in people's faces. Hey, can you send a message to Dan? Like, <laughs> I can only imagine how long it took for Stugatz to be pretty unpopular in that room. Yeah, he's talking to Tim Brown. Hey, you want to talk smack to Dan? Like, exactly. He's just silly. He's just, he's just getting Hall of Famers to take shots at Dan. That was, that was the point of being there. Bro. I mean, but it's a classic Stugatz, man. Like, he just, like, he kind of talks a big game about his relationship with, with Baselli. We assume he's lying and that they're not close at all. And then he ends up at the Hall of Fame. So it's just like, you doubt Stugatz and you, you think he's full of it. And then he's at the Hall of Fame just cutting it up. A couple of, couple of guys just cutting it up at the Hall of Fame ceremony. <laughs> I was listening to the show last week, Stu's like, when they cut to the shot of his wife and daughter, you'll see me. I'm going to be sitting right next to my Literally <laughs> next to Tony Khan. Like, and it is a fitting name because it's all a con from Stu Gatz. It's oh. like the perfect family for him to be sitting next it's to. It's really funny. Uh, make sure you check out the Levitard show for lots of laughs and frivolity. They also had last week on Jimmy Johnson. This is what I do with your show. I, I don't actually listen to the interview. I listen to the episode like after the interview because that'll be the funnier yeah. stuff. And Stu Gatz was talking about the questions. He wanted to ask Jimmy Johnson. Now he's terrified <laughs> of Jimmy Johnson. How Jessica's like, oh, he seems like a kind old man. And Dan's like, no, no, no. he used to chew people out. Like Jimmy Johnson yeah. back then, if you were from South Florida, this is an intimidating guy. And Stu still suffered from that. Dude, and Stu Gatz is usually like Ron Burgundy. You say a joke in Stu Gatz's ear, he's saying it. You tell you tell him to ask someone something, he asked it. For some reason, Jimmy Johnson, he would just give us a look like, no, you ask it. He like he does this thing, like points back at us, like, oh, that's good. You do that. Right. I don't want to say that. You do that. <laughs> he's trying to be generous. That's a good line. You use it. Like, no, you're just yeah. terrified. Use it. It's no, like, no, you're just it. terrified. And uh, by the way, before we get to other stuff, how are you doing with Top Gun passing uh, Titanic? And like all like money and stuff. It's it's, just this movie's unstoppable. I have to look at, I guess, adjusted for inflation because I think if that was the case, then Titanic is still the winner. Like Titanic played for literally 
six months. <laughs> it was forever. And worldwide gross, I still think it's ahead. But I think you're right in terms of actual dollars. It's, it's at the point now I feel like the world is trolling me. Like Tarantino had a quote the other day. He's like, I fucking love Top Gun Maverick. That movie is awesome. Like, you know what? Tarantino can go blow himself. Like I, I already told the story last week about Tarantino with Thurman. Like, buddy, you're done. Although having said that, I believe I have promoted his new podcast here on Cinefile. I do want to check that out. Video Archives, which is, which is an interesting premise. I watched him. He was on... Kimmel this week? No, he was on Kimmel, but Dana Carvey was hosting, which was insane. Dana Carvey, like many people, you, you don't realize like, he's actually a big movie guy. So he's, he's, I wouldn't say he's trading blows with Tarantino, but he's referencing old movie stuff he watches. So video <laughs> the rare The rare blow yourself followed by, check out his podcast. Yeah, exactly. I, I haven't listened to it yet. Let me, let me rephrase. I haven't listened to it yet. I believe I promoted the podcast for sure, because I know Witty has definitely sent me a, 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 a script to read. So I've definitely promoted it. Haven't heard it yet. I do want to listen to it. Video archives. Him and Roger Avery, he used to work at that famed video store, Video Archives, which as Tarantino always says, that did not make me a cinephile. I already was a cinephile. Then I got the job because I knew everything about movies. And then for five years, people would come in and go, hey, I want to see a horror movie. And I would tell them, oh, watch this, watch this, watch this. And I would yeah. just sit there and watch movies all day. But to be clear, he's like, I already was a genius. I'm like, okay, got it. I already, I already, like, <laughs> the movie store didn't, like, didn't change me. I already was. I already knew everything already. I'm like, got it. Know it all. Cool. <laughs> Tarantino must have been a lot of fun in high school. There's that know it all Tarantino over there. Oh, Seemed like you're real fun at parties. Oh, my God. He's, he's great. Very generous guy. But uh, it's an interesting idea. He goes, we watch the movies on VHS, and we'll discuss the video transfer, the production companies, all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. The rewatchables, by the way, I swear, they're taking a page out of me and Cody's book. The last two weeks, they've done great episodes, but both movies he and I have done recently. They did There Will Be Blood, if you will call me, and Cody did that a couple months ago, and they just did Unforgiven. And they wow. did not mention Would You Kill a Man for $32,000. They had a great episode. They mentioned the Morgan Freeman, Do You Just Use Your Hand? That was definitely going to be in the episode. But they didn't mention the thirty-two grand. All the plugs that you give, the rewatchables, yeah. can't they throw a little of my man Adnan tackled this on Cinephile a few weeks back? They never yeah. hit us with that. Like, right, what the exactly. heck? We'll figure it out. We'll get Rosillo on that. By the way, thanks, Rosillo. I did his podcast a month ago. I'm still getting text messages and tweets. Oh, my God. You were great with Rosillo. Good to have Ryan talking baseball once in a while. I'm like, sure. And speaking of Rosillo, he sent me a picture again. This is amazing. Quentin Tarantino is coming up again. It's a shot of Tarantino doing this, a big picture. He always loves giving the peace sign. And he sent it without context, so I just kind of give like a thumbs up. Cody knows I love the double tap. That way we don't have a conversation. We're like, all right, cool. And he's like, and then he wrote back, I'm at Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival in France. Oh. I'm like, wow, awesome. We're still living the life right now. So he's You think out. he's pitching something? He talked to us months back about writing stuff. You think he's there just because he wants to be around good films or is he pitching something? What do we think? That's not a bad idea. A little bit of conjecture. I think there could be something going on there. We'll see. I'll get to the bottom of that. I, I think he is definitely working on those scripts. It would be cool if one day. One yeah. day, I'll get one of those big scripts out there. All right, uh, Batgirl got shelved. Now, I didn't talk about this last week. My buddy Fred was like, you know, talk about it. I'm like, I don't really care. But I figured I'll just mention it, only because this is interesting. And a lot of people are talking about this. I did not realize this. I just saw the headline, Batgirl from Warner Brothers has been shelved. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, movies get announced. They go into production. They get shelved. It happens. But this is the surprise to me. The movie was already done. This is a $90 million movie that was already completed, but apparently Warner Brothers has now decided not to release it. And I, I can't remember the last time I've heard of that. Like, I, I can't imagine you and I are in the creative space. You make a show. Even if the show's not good, I feel like you and I are like, let's keep tinkering. Let's keep working out. Let's get it better. We would right. never just go, this will never see the light of day. We'd go, no, like, somebody will like this. Maybe we don't think it's great, but just at least release it. For them to say we're not releasing it. And this can't just be the movies that bad. There has to be other aspects to it. People have written about this. Maybe there's some sort of you know power structure conglomeration. There's are issues with the directors, the star, whatever. Bottom line is this: ninety million dollar movies in the can. And they're going. You know what? We're good. We're just we're just not going to show it to anybody. Mike Sure talked about this on the Levitard show, and he said something like, "I don't. I'd have to do the research on it. That it's some sort of that they'd rather just get the tax write off than actually yeah. release it. Like apparently, if you do shelve a movie, there's some sort of tax break. I don't know, but there was something. Yeah. But it was still a loss. So he's like, they'd rather just take that than actually release it and it's 
Yeah. It's interesting. It's pretty yeah, wild. Perspective by Mike, because you're right. And this is some of the tax write-off. I go, that can't be. Like, how, how much is the tax write-off? To your point, $90 million movie, tax write-off is 50 We just lost $40 million? You're telling me with all the crazy Batman fans, superhero fans, Batgirl can't get at least $50 million at the box? Of course it could. I would think maybe the marketing money's yeah. a lot, right? It costs $50 million to market a movie. Okay, so 90 plus 50, now we're 140 but No, man. Batman and superheroes? And I, yeah. I think you'd at least break even, but it's kind of a wild story. Yeah, Anyways. it's wild. Let's get to the bullet train, okay? Like I said, big, fun action movie. Again, God, this is a love letter to Tarantino because this movie felt a lot like a Quentin Tarantino movie. You've got a super violent movie. You've got Brad Wise, Pitt. You've got Brad Pitt in the movie, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, won an Academy Award. You've got tough guys who are funny. One of the characters, Brian Tyree Henry, is obsessed with Thomas the Train, Thomas the train Engine. He's always talking about how Thomas relates to everything and how are you a Thomas, are you a Diesel? He's going at all the characters. I'm like, yeah, that's very something you would see in Pulp Fiction, Royale with Cheese, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Madonna's Like a Virgin, blah, blah, blah. So as I mentioned, super violent, witty, tough guys, lots of crazy cuts, non-linear narrative, starts at one point, goes back in time, now shifts over here. Again, feels a lot like Kill Bill. That's the main thing my wife has said. I had to take her because she loves Brad Pitt. So she was like, yeah, it feels kind of like Kill Bill. I'm like, yep, Asian influence. You got some samurais. I'm like, yeah. So essentially, if you love Quentin Tarantino, this is almost like a love letter in some ways to him. The director is David Leitch. David Leitch, not totally sure on pronunciation, but he made a great action movie called Atomic Blonde, particularly the stairwell scene with uh, Charlize Theron. Remember my boy Stan's a big fan of that movie. Particularly that scene was amazing. So I, I see the movie and I go, this guy's definitely got chops. Uh, it's based on a book, apparently, which is even weirder than the movie. But the story is this. Five assassins aboard a fast-moving bullet train find out their missions have something in common. So ultimately, I think it's a, it's a fun movie. It's definitely entertaining. I thought it got a little long on the tooth at times. It's it a little silly, a little nonsensical, trying to draw things together. You know, some things can be a little bit... Um, a little obvious, a little bit contrived, and now the plot goes together. But again, Brad Pitt, he can kind of, just, I wouldn't say it's a great performance. I mean, with his charm, he kind of just coasts in the role of action hero. At this point, I think he's kind of repetitive in terms of the roles he plays. But I really did like Aaron Taylor Johnson as Tangerine and Brian Tyree Henry. Those guys were both really funny. Brian Brad Tyree Pitt's just, well. he's just too witty in his roles. I don't even, I haven't even seen this, but I'm just assuming he's just like got some, like, you know what I mean? He's just like yeah. got these like witty one liners. It's just like, again, we get it, Brad. You're the same guy oh, in every role. Totally accurate. Handsome guy. Like you said, funny, witty, charming. Somehow gets his way to danger. Women yeah. love him. Men want to be him. Like, I got it. Like, why don't you play yeah. like a loser? Like, play, play a guy <laughs> who Brad Pitt is not. Play an absolute loser because that would be fun yeah. to see because he's coasting the movie. Uh, I don't want to give away any of the cameos, but there's three big ones. Uh, I will hint at one of them. One of them is, is a bad guy I love. He, his character's name is White Death, and he plays a lot of villains. So once he showed up, I was thrilled. Got a terrible, terrible wig. He's got a bad salad, but it was funny to see him show up. So Bullet Train, if you like your action movies, you like your fun movies, uh, I would give it uh, two and a half Maple Leafs. A couple of reviews here. Wendy Eyed from Observer. Bullet Train is infuriatingly pleased with itself. Well, that is true. I mean, when you're, when you're paying homage to public, you're kind of like, you know, look how good we are, look how cool we are. And ground zero for this implosion of self-satisfaction is Pitt. <laughs> Like, just hammering Brad Pitt for loving himself, okay? Uh, M.V. Moorhead, for me, it lacks any real emotional stakes, and the home stretch grows overblown and tediously overextended. That's also an excellent review. It's about two hours, ten minutes. By the end, you go, okay, is this bullet train ever going to stop? Like, I, I got it. Like, how, many, how many more shots do I need of that exterior shot bullet train speeding ahead? Like, more like a side. snail train, this yeah, movie. Exactly. I mean, geez. Let, 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 let's get that bullet going here, okay? Come on. All right, so that is bullet train. I give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Fun action movie. Definitely a good summer movie to enjoy. Next up, Blackbird's a confession. Normally, whenever we have a guest on the show, I always make sure I watch the movie or television show. Now, Laura Brandt does a great job for us. She helps you know, book all these guests for us. And so she had said any interest in Blackbird, we can get Dennis Lehane, the creator. We can try to get um, Greg Kinnear or Paul Walter Hauser. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. 
Except Paul Walter Hauser, I love. Uh, he was in the Clint Eastwood movie, Richard Jewell. I'm like, oh, I'll talk to him about that, et cetera. She says, okay, we got Dennis Lehane. This was just after I was coming back from Charleston. Apple Plus, so I have access to it, but I only watched like one episode. I wanted to watch the whole thing. So as you know, listening to that interview, I, I wouldn't say I phoned it in. Like, Dennis was awesome. He's a great interview, but I felt bad I had not seen the entire show. I knew the premise. I knew enough to get by, but now I actually watched the show. So I almost want to go back now, if we can re-interview Dennis Lane, because <laughs> now I have so much more to ask him. But it is a fantastic show. Here is the synopsis. Jimmy Keene is sentenced to 10 years in a minimum security prison, but he cuts a deal with the FBI to befriend a suspected serial killer. Keene has to elicit a confession from Larry Hall to find the bodies of as many as 18 women. As I said to Dennis, Cody, I can't believe this actually happened. The FBI went to a criminal who got busted for drug dealing and said, hey, listen, if you can find out where the serial killer buried 15 people, we'll just get you out right away. Like, that that just seems shady to me. Like, I, I don't right. think law enforcement works that way. You still, you know, have to kind of serve your time. But uh, Taron Edgerton was so good. He was uh, a rocket man, the Elton John biopics. I kept thinking of that movie. I know he's British, so it's weird to see him as, like, an American tough guy. But he's, he's excellent in the role. He really gives a lot of humanity to it. You know, he's... I think a generally a good guy because he is the protagonist of the story, but he's a drug dealer, so he kind of has some issues. But <laughs> but you have sympathy for him because you realize he's in way over his head. When he goes into this prison, this is like the truly baddest of the bad. Like, you know, I love the show Oz. This is like Oz times 10. Everybody in here is truly merciless. Ray Liotta, the great Ray Liotta, plays the role, and now it makes sense because Lahane said to us, I love the movie Blow, and I kind of want to have a character like that. So Liotta plays Taron Edgerton's father, former cop, who's very ill, looks very old. I'm watching like, wow, this is going to be really on his last role. It's, it's a very good role, but he does look like he's weathered. Face, white beard, hair, and he's stammering at times. At one point, he suffers a stroke. But it, it is a good role in that you always think of Ray Liotta, tough guy, and this is Ray Liotta as caring father. He's unfortunately neglectful. He was on the service, and his son ended up being a drug dealer. But he's visiting his kid in prison. He's trying to make uh, you know, amends for the past, atone. Greg Kinnear, an actor I always like, he plays an FBI agent. He's the one who's trying to nail down this guy, which builds up to the mean key of this entire show, which is Paul Walter Hauser. This is a performance that's got to be in the Creep Hall of Fame. Like, if you think of the creepiest characters, you think of Annie Wilkes, right, Kathy Bates in Misery. You think of Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale, American Psycho. You can think of Chucky. You can think of It, like Freddy Krueger. Like, this is just a disturbing character. And what's so haunting about it is the facial expressions and his voice. So the beard he has, the character Larry Hall is actually big into Civil War reenactments, which is interesting. After my uh, fascination with Fort Sumter and trip to Charleston, this guy's all about the Civil War. So his job, he has the beard, but then he shaves the chin. So it's mustache, but like a full beard on the side. And they're not actually called sideburns. They're called burnsides. He says back in that time they called them burnsides. Now people call them sideburns. But technically, <laughs> I have great burnsides. So just, he does look like one of these like, Civil War generals, like that picture, except he is this obese, slovenly character who has probably raped and murdered 15 women. And his voice is just so haunting. It kind of sounds a little bit like the character of, of King of the Hill. Hey, guys, how are you? But it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like a soft voice. It's like, I didn't know what happened down there, Larry. I, I almost want to do this entire review as that character's voice, but I think after 10 seconds, everyone would turn this podcast off. But it's pretty it, funny, though, I have but, to admit. But that's the voice who's going, hey, Jimmy, why don't you want to come down with me? Do you ever find that happens with girls? Some of the girls don't want to touch me, but I love to touch them. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. Jeez. Like one of the most disturbing scenes of the entire thing is when, because, again, Jimmy's trying to gain, gain his trust. Just think in life. If I have to gain someone's trust to confess to someone that they have not confessed to. And the whole book on Larry Hall, Paul Walter Hauser's character, what his brother Gary says is, listen, he just likes the attention. He confesses to things, and then afterwards, he says, no, I was just kidding. 
And, and one of the first things when Greg Kinnear interviews me, he says, I have fantasies. I have dreams about murdering women. And he's like, oh my God, this guy's murdered women. He's like, no, I just I have fantasies. I just have murders. I, I mean, it just happens. Like, I just think about it. I don't actually do it. But if I did do it, here's how I do it. I bring them into my van. I poison them with this drug. I stab them like, this is a very clear-cut dream. You sure you don't act on these dreams? No, no, no it's just, just dreams. You know, it's just, it's just how my, my mind works sometimes. But when he starts talking about women, he goes, yeah, Gary says to me that women are, are kind of wet. And, and Terry Angel looks at me and goes, are you talking about pussy? And he's like, yeah. He goes, he says they're kind of wet. And, and, and Jimmy's like, Jeez. and he goes, how many women you been with? And Jimmy's like, uh, like 80. He goes, 80 women? No, you haven't. That ain't right. 80 women. He's like, yeah. And Jimmy's a good looking guy. Terry Anderson's like, yeah, I got a six pack. I got 80 women. Sure, I give or take. He's like, so they're kind of wet. He's like, I, I don't find it that way. I find it dry as pine bark. <laughs> oh, my like, God. And, and Jimmy's just gradually getting more and more horrified. Goes, so what do you do? Goes, I just, I just kind of shove it in. I'm like, this is just a disturbed man. Hmm. Um, what I also enjoyed about was some of the peripheral characters. You've got uh, Sepedi Moafi, who's an actress I don't know at all. She plays Lauren McCauley. She's Greg Kinnear's uh, right-hand woman. So she says to him, listen, I'm going to visit you in prison, Jimmy. I'm going to pretend I'm your girlfriend. But she works for the FBI. She goes, if you need to slip me some tongue, you know, grab my ass, do what you got to do. But like, I'm just here to make sure everything's going okay. you got Robert Wisdom as Beaumont. So there's very few people that actually know about Jimmy's mission. The warden knows, the FBI knows, and the key, as anyone knows anything about prison, is you don't want to be a switch. And one of the prison guards kind of figures it out. Joe Williamson, very good as C.O. Carter, goes, so you're just showing up here, and you're some gun runner, and all of a sudden you're cozying up to Larry Hall over there. Like, he's your best friend all of a sudden. He's your boyfriend. You sure you're not a snitch? Because if you're a snitch, if you're, try- if you're trying to snitch on somebody in here, you've got a problem. Because one thing in prison people don't want is a snitch. So all of a sudden the walls start to close in, the terrace starts to close in. It's just a fantastic show. It's the rare show that it's so good you wish it was longer. Six episodes, limited series on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'll give it four Maple Leafs. And once again, thanks retroactively to Dennis Lehane for joining us. You mentioned Greg Kinnear. I got to run two movies by you, make sure that you're cool with them. Because if not, I'm big fans of these two movies. Ready for them? Yeah. Mystery Men, Stuck on You. Stuck on You, I love it. so funny you mentioned that. My wife mentioned it while we were watching. I go, yeah. I go, the best scene is that Eva Mendes, they're on the beach. And him and Damon are stuck. She goes, how long is it? He goes, oh, six inches. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Our scar is six inches. It's the two of us right now. It's like, oh, my God. But but, but Fairly Brothers, I love. I mean, I would love to interview those guys sometime. But yeah, sweet, funny movie. Didn't do great at the box office, but I'm with you. I thought Stuck on You was good. Even Mendes. Mystery Men. Come on. Like a, like a, I, I, I can't remember if I've seen it. Ben Stiller. It's I'm like aware a spoof, of it. It's like a spoof yeah. superhero movie where they're all yeah. terrible superheroes. It came out like it's August really of 04. I, I do remember when it came out. Ben Stiller is just Stiller. a guy who gets angry. He's like a guy who gets on his car. He's just like, <laughs> like that's his super. He doesn't really have a superpower. Hank Azaria plays the fork guy. He like oh. throws forks at people. I love Azaria. I'm telling you, it's really, it's terrible. At William H. Macy, I yes. believe, is the shoveler. He just what has about, a bunch of shovels. What about Kinnear's character? What's his superpower? Kinnear is like the actual superhero. He plays like something America. Like he's like the guy that everybody loves him and all the other superheroes are like, nah, like we're cool too. Like we, it's really funny. It's like one of those like bad but classic movies. Mystery Men. I got to add it to the list. Uh, it's definitely, you know, it's kind of like, it sounds a little bit like how Galaxy Quest was like a spoof of sci-fi movies with Tim right. Allen. So it's kind of like in that genre, which I do like. A it's good worth spoof. checking out just because of the star power, the names of the actors. Like, it's yeah. good. It's, right. it's, 
Yeah. And you wouldn't steer me wrong. Mystery Men, I'll add that to the list as well. And once again, Formula Beliefs for Blackbird. DC League of Super Pets, we'll do this real quick, all right? Crypto the Superdog and Spider-Man are inseparable best friends, sharing the same superpowers and fighting crime side-by-side side in Metropolis. However, Crypto must master his own powers for a rescue mission with Superman, blah, blah, blah. It's a bunch of dogs, okay? It's a bunch of dogs. You got Dwayne Johnson as a dog. Kevin Hart's playing a dog. John Krasinski's playing a dog. Kate McKinnon's playing a dog. They're all dogs. Diego Luna, Mark Maron. Like, how much money is Mark Maron Holy made? shit. I was about to say, this movie must sound expensive. Jesus. Like, Mark Maron was a comedian, angry, salty, comes up with the idea of a podcast when podcasts are not even a thing. Thing explodes. He's mad. He must be a multimillionaire just from WTF, his podcast. And now, hey, let me just do some voiceover stuff. Voiceover, I'm telling you, man, if you and I could get some voiceover work, we'd be set. These guys yeah. are making a killing. The Rock, Kevin Hart, Kate McKinnon, John Chris, they're not getting out of bed for millions of dollars. So you're going to wake me. All right, five million just voice a dog. All right. Kato Reeves plays Batman. Sure, whatever you need. Give me a couple million dollars, I'm in. Uh, yeah, listen, if you like kids, I took a nap for 20 minutes, a bunch of dogs, it's cool. Wendy Eyed of The Observer, it's formulaic, uninspired stuff, an artless, mirthless mess that leans heavily on the familiarity of the characters, Batman, Wonder Woman, and others cameo, while also undermining the integrity of the DC universe. Wow. The big thing here, takeaway was, Super Tuesdays are back. $7 tickets on Tuesdays at my local movie theater and $5 popcorn. I'm like, we are back, baby. Are so, back. Like 28 bucks for tickets for four of us was incredible. Popcorn, 5 bucks. Slushy is still $5. Okay, fine. I'm not going to get a deal there. But I'm telling you what, Tuesdays, DC League of Super Pets, I'm in. I'm, All right. I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing $23 million the movie grossed, and I'm seeing it cost them like $9 million just to get Dwayne Johnson. So <laughs> it's not looking like this was a profitable venture. There's no way. This, this cannot be a profitable venture. All right. couple reviews here, by the way, of Blackboard as well. Andrew Mail. This is Edgerton's show, and he's utterly convincing as a man with nothing left to save but the art of the con. John Nugent of Empire Magazine. This is a tense true crime story told with immense confidence and care, but it's the performances, especially from Paul Walter Hauser and Ray Liotta that really make Blackboard. Blackbird Singh, and Roxana Haddadi of New York Magazine. Leota's power as an actor was always his ability to rise above expectations of genre, narrative, or identity. In Blackbird, a series wholly concerned with our ability to lie, that ability to embody honesty and vulnerability is what stands out most. I wish there was a lot more of Ray Liotta in the show. I'll be honest. It's a very small character, but he is fabulous whenever you see him in there. Rest in peace to Ray Liotta. All right. Uh, our wild card is coming up. James Morosini for a movie I love called I Love My Dad. It just opened in theaters. It's going to be available on demand this Friday. It's about a kid who gets catfished by his dad. More on that in just a second. But first, let's do a couple of old movies. Uncle Buck. Bachelor and all-around slob, Buck babysits his brother's rebellious teenage daughter and her cute younger brother and sister. This is wheelhouse John Candy, wheelhouse John Hughes, who was, uh, of course, a Chicago filmmaker who specialized in these big movies. I mean, these, these movies made like $200, $250 million. I don't think the budget was that big on these. But John Hughes could make you some entertaining movies. Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, my favorite of his from 1987 with Steve Martin and John Candy. But him and John Candy reuniting for this one. When I say Uncle Buck to you, Chris, what do you think of? I think of my mom because it's literally, I think we I think we might have talked like touched on Uncle Buck before because I remember telling you, it's my mom's favorite movie of all time. So I've seen it dozens of times. Mostly when I was younger, like in the last five or ten years, probably I've only seen it a couple times. But it's yeah. just a classic. It's one of those ones, if it's on you watch it it's like an understated movie right because it's just kind of like it's just like a life of a guy and his family so it's like it's not a, a the, the premise is nothing too crazy and he he just john buck it's such a good performance john candy man i called him john buck there because that's a former marlins catcher i, I, yes, I, john I, I combined i combined john candy and uncle buck but uh, i it's just one of those ones you stop on it every time yeah, I think of the car. Every time he's going to wait for that thing to kick in, like, boom, he gives that post. I think yeah. of the time he's talking to, 
Is it the principal? Where he says, here's a quarter. Why don't you get a rat to gnaw that mole off your face? <laughs> yes. And, of course, most memorably, is the scene with him and Macaulay Culkin when he says, you know, are you my dad's brother? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I'm your dad's brother, all right. And he also says, you have much more hair in your nose than my dad. How nice of you to notice. Yeah. I'm a kid. That's my job. But that, that, that whole scene was amazing. They just go back and forth, the cutting there. But ultimately, it's a very charming movie. And you're right. A lot of it just resides with the greatness of John Candy. He's just such a fun, lovable character. You see him on screen. He's someone you root for, someone you love. So Uncle Buck. I, did, I forgot that it was actually your mom's family. That's awesome. So you've seen it many times. Who are you? I'm your Uncle Buck. Great film. Make sure you check it out. It came out in 1989. <laughs> now, what I actually rewatched was The Great Outdoors, which this is an example that happened. How many, le- how many maple leaves do we give Uncle Buck? By Three maple leaves. Okay. Yeah, I'll give him Blackbird 4. I'm giving uh, DC League of Super Pets 2. I'll give Bullet Train 2.5. I'll give Uncle Buck 3. Good, fun movie. Good family comedy. Unfortunately, The Great Outdoors does not have nearly the type of pedigree as Uncle Buck. This is one of those people love to ask these questions. They love to ask me this. What's a bad movie that you love? Like, what's a movie that sucks that you like? I'm like, well, I, I, don't, I, I like all good movies. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I w- if I like it, I don't think it's a bad movie. So why would I? They go, like, oh, you know what I mean, though. It's a movie that people would probably crap on you like. I'm like, okay, well. The Great Outdoors is generally what I would throw out there. I'm like, yeah, I loved it as a kid. It came out in 1988. I saw it when I was 10. I really enjoyed it. So I said, let me go back and watch it again because I use it a lot. You were wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wrong. This, this, is not, this is not strong work. A Chicago man and his family go camping with his obnoxious brother-in-law. It stars John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Stunningly, Annette Benning, future married to Warren Beatty and, of course, a great actress in her own right, just shockingly showing up in the very thankless role as Dan Aykroyd's wife. Um, it's not funny. All right, they go out there camping. I guess it's a summer movie because I'm like, oh, they go out there camping. They're out there in the woods, but it's very one note. There's not a lot of development to it. There's a whole refrain about a bunch of raccoons and they're like sifting stuff through the garbage, but they can actually talk. So you see their subtitles making fun of them. There's only a couple of scenes that really stand out watching it. And I couldn't get through the whole thing. I did just start forwarding. But when John Candy goes to the steakhouse and they said, okay, if you can eat the old 96er, then you, everybody eats for free. And again, this brought me back to Hall's Chop. 96 ounces? 96 96. ounces. And you've got to finish it because no one's ever finished it before. You've got to eat it. And it's John Candy. And like the way he's just working that meat, just crushing it. Like, like, yeah. It made me think of the ribeye back at Hall's. I'm like, i got to go eat a good steak because this, this looks tough to watch. 96ers. He gets to the end and they're like, oh my God, Dad, you did it. It's amazing. And the guy's like, no, no, he ain't done yet. And you got like all the fat and all the gristle. I'm like, oh my God. Dan Ackers like, no, no, he can't, he can't eat this. Like, no, we got to finish the whole plate, all 96. I'm like, oh. It makes you think of, like, the most meat you could ever eat. Like, if I said to you, Cody, if I said to you, hey, 26-ounce steak, could you do it? Yeah, you could. No, see, I have more of a, like, if you put a bunch of pasta in front of me, yeah. like, I, I have, like, a bigger stomach for that type of stuff. Like, red meat, I can only take so much before I'm just, like, done. 16-ounce, you're done. Yeah, oh, my God. Like, I'm the guy, like, I'm the guy that orders, like, I'll take the 8-ounce. I'm good. I don't need a huge, gigantic steak. I'm always just like, yeah, 8, 12, 16, I'll take the 8. Because I'm, I'm eating a lot of sides and appetizers, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I don't need a monster steak on top of that. But pasta, all you eat, you could crush. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you throw the kid a, a little, maybe a weed gummy or something, I guess uh, I could... <laughs> we need to make this happen. I mean, my, dad, my, dad, my, my dad, oddly enough, is so weird with pasta. My dad will eat red... He's the opposite. My dad can eat red meat for days, but you put, a, you put one serving of pasta in front of my dad, he'll eat like eat a couple pieces of it and be like, oh, man, I'm stuffed. I'm like, Dad, you haven't even touched your pot. Like, he cannot eat rice or pasta. But red meat, he'll, like, just guzzle 16 ounces like it's well, nothing. Maybe that's how he stays lean, right? All protein, he yeah. stays away from the carbs. So that's, you know, is he yeah. a big fish guy? He must like seafood. Yeah, he likes fish. Seafood, yeah, so yeah, fish yeah. Protein, all right. Interesting. Uh, the Great Outdoors, right? you should go to an all-you-eat pasta bar or you should go eat some <laughs> fish rather than watch this movie. What's particularly good? One other scene where John Candy he yells at them, why don't you go on a spin cycle? 
And I, I remember as a kid thinking it was so funny, and it's not that funny to watch it now. One time he's, he's on the jet skis, and Dan Aykroyd can't hear him, and he's yelling, you bastard. And Aykroyd goes, is he saying faster? He's like, faster, okay, faster. And again, as a 10-year-old, I'm like, that's so funny. He's calling him a bastard, but he's saying faster. And I'm like, mm, yeah, it really wasn't, really wasn't great. The Great Outdoors. Uh, it's also directed by, excuse me, written by John Hughes, which is why I mention it, and I pair it, because both John Candy movies, both written by John Hughes, but not one of their best. A couple reviews here for you. Uh, Ken Hankey, a harmless, pointless time killer. David Nusser, real film reviews, a decidedly familiar setup that's employed to watchable yet mostly forgettable effect. And Tim which Brayton, two are those about? Which movie are those two this about? This is about the great outdoors. Oh, God. Because I love when you see, because you try to find one good, one positive, one kind of whatever. And yeah. this one, Tim Brayton, charming when it works and is based primarily on the interplay between the characters. So that, that's the best you can get. It's charming sometimes when it works. That is the great outdoors. It's time now for our special guest. So before we get to James Morosini, I love my dad. How about this concept? Father gets shunned by his dad. He's like, you know what? I'm tired, dad. You don't show up for my events. You don't care. You're a neglectful father. So I'm cutting you off. Social media, you're done. And the father goes, you know what? Fine. I'll catfish you. I'll pretend I'm an attractive woman, not to be a jerk, but because I love my son. I want to see how he's doing, and I want to keep up and you know keep keep in touch with him. But then, of course, the son's going to start messaging the hot girl, and I'm going to be the hot girl. Sounds creepy. Sounds weird, right? It's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. And most shockingly, it is based on a true story. James Morosini took what happened to him, and he put this into movie with Patton Oswalt. He wrote it. He directed it. He co-stars. Here's his interview right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it's a real pleasure to talk to James Morosini. He is exceptionally talented, and I think he put together a fantastic movie. It's called I Love My Dad. He wrote, he directed it, he co-stars in it, and of course, it is based on a true story. James, first and foremost, congrats on a terrific achievement, man. Oh, thank you so much. So let's talk about, I think, what's getting the headlines more than anything, which is the fact this is improbably based on a true story. This is unbelievable. This is something that actually happened to you by your father. You had cut off your father from social media, and he decided to catfish you. He was posting as a woman because he wanted to stay active in your life, and you used this fertile, incredible, true-life material for a movie. I, I don't know, like, how many years of therapy have you been through? What's like, what, are, what are things like with you and your dad? What do you think of this movie? I have so many questions. Oh, man. I mean, I've definitely gone through many years of therapy, not just for this, but a billion other things. Uh, but, you know, my dad, uh, I, I grew up going to the movies with my dad. That's always been a thing that we've bonded over. And so when he saw the movie for the first time at South by in an audience of 500 people, it was a harrowing experience for a <laughs> for sure. Uh, but he he was very moved by it and he he got what I was trying to do with the movie and, and was able to appreciate it for what it is, uh, which I'm very relieved about. Yeah. One of my favorite genres is father and son stories. And this is a great father and son story. And like you said, it is at times absolutely cringeworthy. It is like you're watching it through your fingers. You're like, oh, my God, I can't what's going to happen next. But it's also moving and touching and poignant. And I think that was really important that you were able to give a really layered portrait of not only your character, but also the one that Patton Oswalt plays as your father. 
Part of the exciting thing about writing this story was the opportunity to really explore my relationship with my dad through his perspective. I, I felt throughout my life, uh, you know, a certain resentment or or uh, disappointment at moments with my dad, and so to be able to really uh, look at at this particular moment in our lives uh, under a microscope and see how that kind of, uh, you know, was a metaphor for our relationship overall in a lot of ways, uh, gave me a lot of clarity in my relationship with my dad, but was also, uh, I, I feel like I grew a lot from doing it. And, and, um, and it allowed me to look at the idea of connection with people more universally as well. Uh, it was amazing because I watched the screener and this never happens, James. This only should happen in a horror movie. But I had to literally stop watching and go to the bathroom because I was so petrified what was going to happen, which was the climax of the movie. I said, oh, my God, I can't watch this. It's like a car crash. Oh, no, God, no. And it's, of course, because you're invested in the characters because I care about these people. And I'm like, I feel for your character. Like, he seems like a really sweet guy. And, and I've been there before. I've been down before. I, I know what it's like to finally feel a connection with a woman. This is the big moment. And I feel like Pat and Oswald, I've screwed up before. I'm like, oh, God, how do I get this, how do I get out of this? Tell me about that that fateful final scene because I thought it was so incredibly well constructed. Thank you, man. Well, you're touching on something that was incredibly important to me throughout the process was that in that I needed these characters to be very emotionally grounded. I wanted to be able to understand where every single person in the story was coming from, so that it was never cringe or comedy or, or for, for its own sake. It needed to be coming from a place of putting the audience in an untenable position where they understand how they've arrived there and there's really no right way out. In terms of constructing that final scene, it, I, I was excited by this idea of each character having a different understanding as to the, the reality they were in and all of those realities kind of colliding and, yeah. and uh, doing it in a way that was, I wanted it to be funny, but I also wanted it to be devastating <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. The highest cop I can pay is that in terms of the cringe humor, it reminded me sometimes of Kirby enthusiasm. It's got that high factor of cringe and yet it's hysterical. And the scenes of, of you and like Patton Oswalt making out because that's the fantasy that he thinks it's with a woman and actually it's him. I, I'm sure Patton's kind of an actor. He's game for anything. But did he even have kind of like, are we, are we really going to do this? Like, what was his reaction to some of this stuff? No, Patton was all in from day one. Uh, and I think he was equally excited to push the boundaries of this story and, and to see how far we could take it while keeping the tension and the emotional reality intact throughout. Yeah, it really is. And how did you end up casting Patton? I loved him in the movie, big fan, great independent film. How did you end up casting? I mean, Patton is obviously a brilliant comic, but he's also someone with tremendous heart. And I knew that those two qualities were going to be really necessary for playing Chuck. Um, I had Patton in mind from early, from an early stage. And um, when he read the script, he really dug it. And through several conversations, uh, we're, he and I are both huge cinephiles. So we were able to find a common language through films that we love and, and really getting into the weeds uh, about what what we wanted this film to be and what we wanted it to represent. Yeah, it certainly was successful in doing so. We're talking to James Morcini. I love my dad as a new film. I encourage everyone to check it out in theaters August 5th and VOD on August 12th. 
I think directorially, I was really impressed. I mean, you're a young man here making this kind of a directorial film, especially showing social media, showing all the texting and the messaging. How much thought did you give to making something visual, which in its very essence is not visual. You're just using your phone typing words. How much thought did you give to how can I make this thing on camera? I knew I wanted to tell this story. At the beginning, I didn't quite know how to make texting and messaging cinematic. And so I had to think a lot about what these things feel like when we're doing them. And when we're communicating with someone via our phones or computers, it often feels like the person is right there with you. You're kind of projecting a very specific essence of what you understand that person to be. And a lot of times that essence is completely inaccurate. It's something that we're, it, it's our hopes or fears projected onto, a, onto an idea of a person. And so I figured that person should just be materializing in Franklin's consciousness. And it, it was what clicked this movie into a place of needing to make it because it created this whole new layer of dramatic irony where we were able to root for Chuck in hopes of connecting, reconnecting with the son while simultaneously rooting for Franklin's love with this person that we're seeing on screen, while also knowing that that's not a real person, it's actually his dad. And that was just too fun <laughs> to, to pass up. It's amazing. I hope people haven't seen the movie, hear that synopsis and go, man, I can't wait to see it. Tell me more about the love interest. I don't have her name offhand, but the one who plays your love interest. I thought she had a real naivete and sweetness about her. So Franklin's imagined girlfriend is played by an incredible actor named Claudia Saluski, yeah. best known for her work online, creating vlogs and, and doing a lot of social media stuff since, since a very young age, uh, she's created these videos. And so she, she comes to acting with uh, immense on-screen experience. You know, she, she's very uh, comfortable in front of a camera and, and it really, uh, you'll see, I mean, the performance she gives, I, I was blown away by. Uh, she's, I think, magnetic on screen and, and so agile in transitioning between uh, the real Becca that, that we see and, and then this fictional kind of uh, materialization of a person that is in Franklin's imagination. Yeah, it's amazing to pull off and casting so oftentimes is so critical in this. I want to circle back just to the Genesis again, because I remember uh, on Honey Boy, Shia LaBeouf said he told his dad he's making a movie about him, but I think he said Mel Gibson is playing the lead. In this instance, did you tell your dad I'm making this movie about you and me? I did. I don't know if he believed it right away. I kept it pretty close to the chest for a while just because I needed to have that space to really let the story gestate and to give myself complete uninhibited freedom creatively. Um, but, you know, it, it really, my dad hadn't seen the movie or read the script until that moment at South by Southwest. And uh, looking back, I'm, I'm glad that I was, that I handled it in that way. Yeah, you certainly handled it well. And it got a raucous reception and for good reason. But everyone checks it out. Last one for me. I don't know what your dating status is right now, James, but would you ever online date again after the experience that you had? Certainly not. I think that was good for me. <laughs> I just, I mean, man, Titeo, I think of like real life instances of catfishing. The fact that it actually happened to you, I just, I can't believe that you were able to get through it. But I love the fact that you and your dad have a great relationship and I hope everyone goes out and checks out. I love my dad. I thought it was fresh. I thought it was original and, uh, and very perceptive. And like I said, a great father and son story. So thanks so much, James. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Talk soon.
All right, thanks so much once again to James Morcini. Really good movie. Cody, now you want to check out this I'm, movie, you? you? got me hooked. Even your setup before the interview, I wanted to watch it. But now, yeah, I, I got to check this out. I love my I'd dad. I'd like eat catfish with my dad. Like it's, yeah, I'm in. Uh, and let me tell you, there, there are some cringeworthy scenes because the fantasy of the son imagining the girl and all of a sudden it's Patton Oswalt. Let me tell you, it, it is it is right in your face. Very cringeworthy, <laughs> but very funny and very original. And unique. I'm giving that film three and a half Maple Leafs. All right, next week on Cinephile, The Captain. All seven parts of ESPN's yes. documentary of Derek Jeter. This will be great because, of course, I, I love the captain. We all we all lived and saw Dirk Jeter's greatness. Chris has a, a, an opinion of Jeter, of course, rolling the Marlins. So we we have lots of backstory. I'm sure David Sampson has weighed in. We'll give our thoughts on the captain. All seven episodes in ESPN. Uh, also, we'll be reviewing the final episodes of Better Call Saul. I can't believe that show is almost ending. Me and Roy are going to shed a tear. As far as our classic film, I talked a lot about Paul Newman, the last movie stars. We're going to do Road to Perdition, 20th anniversary of that movie. Starred Paul Newman and Tom Hanks. Came out back in 2002. And the big one is this, our wild card, Cal Penn. New book yes. coming out. We're going to have Cal Penn, Harold Kumar questions, House, uh, working with Obama, tons of great stuff coming up. So make sure you check out Cinephile, subscribe, rate, and review, and I'll see you at the movies.